Ladies and gents, welcome back to Trade Talk. Thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, it's been a few weeks since our last episode, but um, you know there was no rush to do those. I thought there was going to be a rush to knock out many episodes back to back. However, I just wanted to take some more time for uh, developments in the market to play out. Uh, no different than what the uh, what would you say the, my projections were for the year so far have come to pass uh, to to a greater extent. Though we are seeing a pullback in oil, um, but that's not the purpose of this episode. So let's not worry about that. We're not going to recap that. Um, in more episodes, we will talk about those things. Uh, but I will give a, a slight blurb. Uh, you're going to see that pullback in oil. It's not something that you're going to be able to stop because there's anticipation for raising rates. As this episode is being f- uh, recorded on uh, March 15th with uh, Fed meeting on March 16th. So, you know, it's, it, it's again, like I was explaining, Fed manipulation uh, to not allow markets to just free fall. Um, but I don't think that stops what is to come for energy prices. They will uh, continue to climb, and I believe they will climb aggressively. But let's get into what this episode's about. Um, The title is uh, Unwind Just to Rewind, and hopefully uh, people will get the gist of it. Conceptually, it it, it does cover the the concepts presented in uh, Ray Dalio's Big Debt uh, Cycle. And it's not even where I ended up getting this from. Actually, a friend of mine, um, uh, Aaron, was one to point out of its similarity. I didn't even realize that. But what I could just realize is that, um, you know, you're just unwinding this inflated mess only to rewind it again. And I'm not even saying that it's being rewound in this economy. It's actually being rewound in the uh, Chinese economy. And to, to other episodes, you'll see how that uh, goes on to play out, especially within um, Chinese um, municipals and corporate bonds. Uh, they are all relevant as to the overall standing of what is to play out um, in this unwinding of just a debt bubble. So, you know, you, you see that in the Chinese economy, you know, and I know I've said these things, and I hope it's not sounding like a broken record, but this is all within thesis. Remember, my thesis is that uh, commodities will continue to spike going into the summer, uh, still remaining short indices. Um, tech losing its steam because uh, people cannot spend their uh, discretionary money on tech goods uh, as freely as they were before. And most of all, uh, mismanagement will rear its ugly head, uh, but not immediately. You'll probably see it after the infrastructure bill passes, which would just put more debt after they're trying to unwind uh, inflated prices. So in in the Chinese economy, like I had said before, you have a situation where they passed um, new QE, uh, when you were having the real estate bubble uh, start to pop, especially the commercial real, not even commercial real estate bubble, it was actually just real estate developer bubble. And since that was occurring, uh, they put their money into infrastructure, put their money into the ability for um, many of their businesses 
many of their borrowers and uh, specifically corporations uh, to borrow that it lends to infrastructure. Uh, their objective in unwinding originally back in February of 2020, yeah, no, February of 2021, excuse me, uh, was to stop the glut of just borrowing that was happening. Uh, however, uh, that did not end up playing out to their benefit as we go back to talk about about unwinding just to rewind. So they unwound or were attempting to unwind some of this just to have to come back to rewind and try to reinflate particular parts of their economy, especially um, coming in and requesting that banks not call in notes that were soon due. Again, that very detailed conversation will come in the next episode, but, you know, oblige me just building out this skeleton so you can understand uh, this concept of unwind just to rewind. Um, then you have, you know, you go over to the U.S. and you're looking at how, you know, we have our Fed meeting coming up and they want to unwind prices, right? So again, we're unwinding these prices, um, deflating our economy, deflating some of these assets. Commodity prices were kicking ass for the past two weeks from wheat to uh, metals to uh, oil, pretty much energy. You could pick almost any company, small driller, name it. It was making money. Small miner, name it. It was making money. Um, for you know, sorry, not money, but it was making um, a price appreciation in your stock market. Didn't matter if it was necessarily making money. They probably won't even be able to book the earnings that they're making for about another quarter. So you look at that and you start to say, all right, well, now the Fed wants to deflate their economy while the Chinese are trying to inflate their economy. But you want to know the key things that are kind of coinciding here is the fact that you have um, the things that are coinciding, excuse me, the fact that you pass an infrastructure, I don't want to call it infrastructure bill, but an infrastructure directed initiative of lending in China only for us to try and the Biden administration to try to pass an infrastructure uh, bill in the U.S. So there's going to be a parity here, right? In my opinion, it just shows you where things are to go next. And they're going to go where you raising these rates and making banks more skittish on wanting to lend is going to cause a very sharp, uh, sharp thorn in the side of some of these corporations and especially home buyers who are not going, who are not going to want to Either one, pay what the new rates are, or two, in the corporation's um, standpoint, it just becomes too expensive. Um, you know, you you have it. You have it very visible that in the Chinese market, those long dated bonds, which were once long dated, now are short dated. And they were too expensive to refinance. And you were stuck to where you had to get pledges from banks to not want to call in loans so quick to force defaults. Again, just getting more state and government interference into these private markets in very specific debt sectors, right? And, and debt maturities. Um, 
I could only imagine what is to come for, um, you know, U.S. companies. I mean, to just put it point blank, period, I, I would short anything that is trying to be financed, new financing in the next uh, two to three years if it's being financed now. Um, or if it's being financed in the next, uh, I'd say, 24 months. Now, I know that could be a bold prediction or a bold statement to say, but the majority of people who would try to finance this short are people who are in desperate need of cash. Again, go back to the Chinese economy. And I thought I was going to save this for the next podcast, but I'm not. I'm just going to do it here. It's a Chinese company, Greenleaf. And they were having a run and a call on bonds in China. And, the you know, Chinese officials stepping in and banking regulators stepping in to try to slow that process down where there was over 500 million in callable bonds. And those callable bonds would have, um, in essence, bankrupted the company. Uh, at that time, because people were afraid, of, because there were so many defaults, there was a run to about 85% of that 500 million note that was outstanding while the government was looking for pledges to be made. So to backstop this, the company then uh, issued a short-term bond at uh, over 7%. It came out to be like uh, seven and three-fourths, if I'm not mistaken, but maybe like, yeah, yeah, I would say seven, seven and three-fourths uh, due in August of 2022. For some of you who don't understand, I'm just saying that uh, an over 7% bond on an annuum that was going to be due in... August of 2022, this year, so one year, to pay 7% interest is extremely high for um, for corporate debt, you know, on a sh- such a short scale. It's letting you know that if there's not government backstopping there, these companies are going to have to pay absorbent amounts of pricing. When they did that and they ran that issue, only three buyers... And I'm not talking about three people bought. I'm talking about three buyers as in only three institutions. And of those institutions, it was only other structured, bigger bank players. And these are collateralized issues, meaning they've pledged something to get that money. So you can only imagine if they were trying to get unsecured debt, it probably would have been a 10. That's what we have to look forward to here in uh, the U.S. I thought I was going to break that out into another episode, but I don't think there's any point to break it out into another episode. Let's 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 uh, glean over it because it doesn't need to go that deep. But I don't think enough people are going to be able to see that. And I, I think you can mark my words true here and pay attention to that very concept. Again, you're not going to say, oh, pick this company, pick that company. I definitely will pick companies and I'll. I'll expound on those specific companies that I think it will happen to. Um, But it's not going to be as easy as just saying, pick this one, pick that one. You know, it still goes back to the same concept, especially when we talk about debt cycles, where all that free money to gorge on uh, back in dot-com time. And then when things needed to be sold, what do people usually sell first? They don't usually sell their losers first, though you should. That's what disciplined people do. Most people were selling uh, their winners first because they were afraid of the winners losing value and their big profits taking a hit, only for you to then sell your losers. Your losers were going down anyway because they're already feeling the price squeeze the fastest. Your winners you're trying to get out of before you lose money in them. 
conceptually that may sound crazy to some people, but uh, the name of the game on this uh, in this business is to protect your profits. On one side, you've already lost. <laughs> on the other side, you're trying to not lose the gains that you had. So, you know, the other part about this is that as the, as our government wants to um, deflate those asset prices, uh, you potentially could run into situations of demand destruction, as, as you can also see, um, just recently published, Chinese are saying they have another spike in COVID. And that spike in COVID is now causing, um, potent, well, causing a projection of supply chain issues. And if that's happening, then, oh, goodness gracious, you know, you're going to have some demand destruction coming, coming our way, because what you might have wanted at its inflated price, you, you know, demand is going to hit um, a wall. You know, I, 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 it's this concept that some people think these prices can go to infinity. And when I say that demand destruction, I, I mean it also even to commodities. They don't go to infinity. They will hit a wall. But it's who plans on setting that wall? Does the Fed plan on setting that wall by raising rates faster? It doesn't seem likely. I mean, they pretty much drag their feet for the most part. They're at a point where you even know that, okay, this... Wednesday, they're going to raise rates. You know, that, that <laughs> everyone can already telegraph that. But are they going to raise them to any significant degree? Probably not. You probably get a quarter, uh, quarter basis point hike. It's not enough. So uh, not quarter basis, but quarter point hike, excuse me. It's not enough. So that demand destruction, whether it be gold or it be oil, these things, they will set to happen at some point, um, you can squeeze the supply of some of these things to say that, okay, well, there's pent up money wanting them, but everything is not working in a, uh, at equilibrium. You know what I'm saying? Like just because you're squeezing, it doesn't mean people on the other side are rushing to buy more. Um, the reason they can't rush to buy more is because their dollar can only spread so much recent articles in Wall Street Journal are literally saying people are going between just paying the late fees for for the electric bill or buying food. Um, and, and that's a very realistic thing. And you will start to see it as I explain that um, the debt cycles stages and how they're just literally playing out, you know, again. So to repeat it, unwind just to rewind, right? So you have a situation where, you know, Dalio would say you have a new civilization and you have prosperity. We've definitely had prosperity for many years, right? Even though we've had even, we've had bubbles in this country, we've had things that have uh, popped. We can all agree to that. Um, to many cases, those bubbles would last, I mean, it's, sorry, the buildup of those bubbles could last 10 years. They could last 12 years, however. But let's go within modern time, right? So you're coming out of 08. So, well, into 08, you had the prosperity, you had bubble. Coming out of 08, you've had about mm, 10, eh, about 11 years going into 12 years of prosperity. It doesn't matter if the prosperity hasn't been gangbusters like it was uh, for 08 because we didn't have necessarily an accelerant to, to give it to go bang gangbusters. However, we did have an accelerant coming out of the pandemic with the helicopter money. But now you're forming... Uh, that debt bubble, especially, you know, people could see that it had been building, but it, now it accelerated in its building. Um, regardless of how 
President Biden is saying, oh, you know, that inflation uh, is not because of the money that was put out there. I mean, like, I just don't know how much more uh, the Fed, whether it be presidency, whether it be the Treasury, whether it be uh, open market committee, are going to lie to us and say it's not coming from the uh, excess printing of money or just more QE. That's where it's coming from. Um, but, you know, you go from prosperity and you go into a debt bubble. Um, that debt bubble then pushes you into a situation of a wealth gap. And I know everyone can see the wealth gap because as we saw asset prices, uh, what, more than quadruple in some cases, especially in homes where there was definitely more than 30%, 40% increases, you had wealth gaps because more wealthy people have uh, real estate. Or they have assets, again, whether it be stock, whether it be real estate, whether it be a business. What we were talking about from before is um, quantitative easing for the rich is asset appreciation. That's what quantitative easing does for the rich. It's just asset appreciation. Uh, Well, as for the middle class and the poor, it's it's a check. And if I have asset appreciation, I can refinance, which goes right back into the debt bubble, right? So I'm sure you can follow um, you get to a point where you get the, the debt bursting. Well, now who's going to burst it? Um, there's only two ways, in my opinion, that, well, eh, there could be more than two, but two that, that are going to happen in, in, in this economic cycle. And I believe they're going to be uh, demand destruction where people can no longer afford because the wages don't meet the prices. Even though, you know, it feels like we've been speaking about that for more than a year, but it, that's what's happening. <laughs> and, and people, you know, fill up a, a, a Honda Accord is like 80 bucks. And that's crazy because that's, those are those fuel efficient, economical kind of cars. And, you know, you put in $30, $35 and you're good for like uh, more than a week. So you could get it by demand destruction where that debt bubble bursts, or you could run into it with a situation of, the Fed popping your bubble and the Fed's, again, objective is to pop your bubble, but manage that deflation. They can't manage it at this point. Hands are tied. There's a war. But how do they now play with that war? What, what, what happens when you, you get that issue? You print money. And not only do you print money, you tend to have a war. Now, it doesn't matter that the U.S. isn't necessarily in the war. What wars do is they allow you to manufacture at home. You're manufacturing weapons. You definitely will probably export some of those weapons. As as Ukraine is in its war and it's receiving assistance, quote unquote, but really that assistance is going to give you $13 billion you're going to pay back. going to give you weapons you're going to pay back. You're going to buy all this stuff. And it's going to add to our GDP as an export. That's just real. That's what happens. So as you move through that and you get into a situation of war, and who knows if the U.S. gets drug into it, um, you start to get back into a situation of political restructuring. And political restructuring is what's going to be jockeying and happening when we get into that infrastructure bill and finally trying to pass it later this year. That's the cycle only for it to all repeat again. Because when you say you repeat it again, you are looking for the avenue of you've tried to deflate the, um, the bubble. You've tried to build it into infrastructure. You get 
political wrangling, like in China, that switches generally the rules of saying, oh, we're going to let this thing default. Ah, let's put some state funding behind this. Let's not accelerate these markets falling apart because they're so intertwined at this point. Debt bubbles are so big that if you cannot control them, they will destabilize everything that is occurring. It's just, it's just it. I mean, there, there's no other way to, for me to explain it at this time. So hence why I, I, I state again, continue to be short because if it's not demand destruction that's going to do it, the Fed is going to do it. And all, all you're seeing in choppiness is manipulation to manage it. It doubled down each time there's political mismanagement. It has not changed. Now, the time that it will start to change is an infrastructure bill passing. I think you will catch a nice, strong bid to the upside. So when there are these discounts, I don't look to buy long. Instead, I continue to short. But as we start getting into those midterm elections and into some clarity on passing that that um, infrastructure, I will then come back in to start going long, being stronger. I also think that coming out of uh, Chinese debt, um, as, they, as you see those backstops and they correct those issues and get those refinances by force from the government, um, it'll be worthwhile to buy that Chinese, those Chinese bonds and debt or those companies to the long as they will mostly take, off, take most of the obligations off of their plate uh, or structure them to such an extent that it becomes comfortable to pay. Uh, giving you an ability to catch that run-up. Chinese uh, supply chain disruption uh, will reprice their market, giving you yet another opportunity to buy back in. Though there were losses taken last year from those Chinese positions, however, uh, I I think I'm clear that with the backstopping, which they have to do, um, and they're already trying to force the banks to have to do, and banks will only do it with incentive, no different than here in the U.S., um, there will be upside. Uh, and I don't think enough people are even talking about it because it's quite premature, but that means the pricing will be right. So I'll let a lot of that sink in. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a mouthful. And, you know, again, another long episode. I try not to do so many, but uh, I, I did love this topic and I loved the idea of what was to occur uh, thank you guys for tuning in to trade to trade talk. Excuse me, uh, Eliaco here. Take care.